0: And I think entrepreneurs always, whether you're an entrepreneur, a side hustler, or a entrepreneur, you always have to be thinking about the value that you add to any situation and really be conscious of showing up where you add value.
1: You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews Okome. So let's get started. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Today in the guest chair is someone who I'm actually surprised I have not had in the guest chair yet. And that's because I have followed her career for some years. I remember reading about her in college and being so impressed because not only was she a black woman entrepreneur, which I didn't see much of, but also someone who was in a industry that I was very interested in. You know, she had her own marketing agency. That's something I aspired to do. And today she's here to share how she started her business at 16, that's right, 16, and has been going ever since. Never side hustle, scaled and grew this business that she started as a teenager. Her name is Tina Wells, and she is the CEO and founder of Buzz Marketing Group, a marketing agency that creates strategies for clients within the beauty, entertainment, fashion, financial, and lifestyle sectors. For more than two decades, Tina has connected thousands of influencers and consumers to brand clients. Through its network of 30,000 BuzzSpotters and 7,000 spotters. Buzz Marketing Group delivers data and digital strategies that drive the marketing approach for clients like Dell, the Oprah Winfrey Network and American Eagle Outfitters. Tina is amazing and sits on numerous boards including the Young Entrepreneurs Council, the Franklin Institute, and most recently, Thinks. If that doesn't keep her busy enough, she is also a member of the 2017 Class of Henry Crown Fellows within the Aspen Global Leadership Network at the Aspen Institute and the Academic Director of Wharton's Leadership in the Business World program at the University of Pennsylvania. It's no wonder her list of honors includes Cosmopolitan's Fun Fearless Phenom Award, Essence's 40 Under 40, Inc's 30 Under 30, and Fast Company's 100 Most Creative People in Business. I am almost out of breath reading this intro, but I needed you to know just how dope Tina Wells is. Hey, so have you been looking to build out your team and you've just posted your position to job sites then just waited? and waited for the right people to find it? Well, ZipRecruiter knew there was a smarter way to go about this whole hiring thing. So they built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you. ZipRecruiter learns what you're looking for, identifies people with the right experience, and then invites them to apply to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how you find your next hire. In fact, 80% 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And ZipRecruiter doesn't stop there. They even spotlight the strongest applications you receive so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there. ZipRecruiter is how you find them. And right now, my listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com hustle. That's ziprecruiter.com slash hustle. And one more time, that is ziprecruiter.com slash hustle. Ziprecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Let's get right into it. So, welcome to the guest chair, Tina. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I am as well. Now, you are very unique in that, you know, most of our guests are either side hustlers or full-time entrepreneurs that started as side hustlers, but you are like a unicorn. You started your business when you were 16, unheard of, and have continued to grow it for two decades. Let's talk about that. Who was (laughs) at 16 years old and why was she starting a business?
0: (laughs) Well, if you talk to my parents, uh, my mom would say, I had this personality at three. And she always says, Tina's the same person today at 38 that she was at three, at eight, at seven. You know, this has always been her personality. And so I think um, at that time, I was just curious about people, about what motivated them to do things about... um, You know, consuming things about buying things, how they were made, and and today, you know, I can walk into a retail store and it's like driving my blood pressure through the roof. I'm so excited, right? I just like am genuinely excited about stuff and people and interested in people and what motivates them to make buying decisions. And so that that really has always motivated me from you know my first job. I I started. At 15, um, writing for a newspaper for girls called the New Girl Times, and I was hired as a product review editor um, to get the job. I had to submit a, a writing sample, which I typed on my brother word processor. Okay, this is 1995, mm-hmm. um, and, and my mom faxed it from work, and I got a call. And, and Miriam Hipsch, the editor said, I'm going to hire you to be a product review editor. I'm like, awesome. Had no clue what that meant. I just, you know, I'm like, I guess I get to write about products that I like. And that is what really launched the business. And I realized that people loved my feedback when they said, oh, if I send you more product, will you tell me what you think? I really like what you had to say. And so I was just the girl that you would send products to. I'd tell you what I thought. And then you'd send me more stuff. And then, you know, it quickly went from like one company to 40 companies doing this. I got my girlfriends involved. I would then average out our scores and send back reports. And so I was really doing market research, but had no clue what that was or what that meant. And that is what really started the agency. And then really for two decades, you know, I have been focused on what motivates consumers to buy. Why do they like the products that they like? And how do I help? interpret that data into something that's usable for companies making products.
1: So when you were 16 and you were sending back these surveys, so what, you know, made you think to average out the answers and you know, do where did you take any kind of class or is it just
0: oh, yeah yeah, I mean mean, was was like the valedictorian and I so so was was like, really really math math, so so I hate this this that that like girls not not good at math or, like, I, I kicked butt in math, like I of a math bit of a little bit of a of advanced math and science that was available and I went to a really tough you know small private school and I was taking you know calculus and trigonometry and I was great at math like I really loved it and so I just thought like what, it was almost out of necessity of like, it's too much for me. And so it only made sense that if I had five people take a survey that I'd have to send this quote unquote client, I say it in air quotes, right? Because I was just getting free stuff, not money. I was like, well, if I I can't, I need to like compile the results. And so it only makes sense to take all of our scores and average them out and send an average of everything. And so it just kind of, made sense to me. And I feel like it's still how I run the company, right? It's like, well, that makes sense. So I'm going to do this because it seems to make sense, you know, until it proves to not. And then you, it's almost like a test case, right? You send it to the first person and they're like, wow. I, and what, that was actually um, the, the pivot moment for me, right? So imagine like I had a pivot at 17 and a half, right? <laughs> so, so I had sent one of these reports to a woman and she said, I, I need to have a conversation with you. And she said, listen, I'm going to tell you something really important. I just paid $25,000 for a market research study. And what you and your friends told me was more insightful than what I paid for. And she said, you have a business, it's called market research, and you need to go figure it out. And I had never heard of this before. I was a freshman in college. I I happened to be taking intro to business, and it was taught by the head of the department. I went to see her during office hours, and I said, I've been doing this thing for two years. What do you think? And after she kind of stared at me like I was a unicorn, she said, I want to help you make this a business, take an independent study with me the next semester, which I did it was grueling. I mean, you know this and you've interviewed tons of people that there's no way around it. The process of of getting and drilling down to this is what the business is going to be is not easy, right? You're refining and refining, taking pieces out that don't make sense, looking at competition, seeing what, what they do that's great. What's not so great, figuring out what your product market fit is. And I was doing that at 18 years old and and meeting with this professor on weekends, and I mean, I remember one time pulling an all-nighter and, and going to her, like, thinking I had this amazing marketing plan, and she ripped it to shreds and said, no, everything about it was terrible. And I came back the next day with something new, and she said, that's when I knew you were going to be an entrepreneur. Like, you could take the failure and bounce back and, and keep it moving. And, and, of course, at 18, we can all take the failure and bounce back and keep moving, right? Um, And so it was just, you know, for me to be able to come of age with this business in college when I was really in a place where I could just focus on myself, right? I always say, the best thing about college is your ability or like to be selfish, right? And just say, I'm interested in this, so I'm going to do this. So
1: Tina, now, you know, I noticed that with awesome, accomplished women like yourself, sometimes when you're looking back, it can seem like all the dots connect and it sounds really seamless, But as someone who has been to college and remembers going to class, studying, just all the different things that you are dealing with, was there any moment when you were not thinking about running your business post-grad? Like, were you ever thinking, I need to get this internship, I need to do XYZ and get a job?
0: Oh, absolutely. I remember senior year, um... I saw Legally Blonde, right? And I was like, I sh- I'm going to law school. I could be Elle Woods. I-, I absolutely need to go to law school. And I went in and met with my advisor. And I said, so I think I'm going to go to law school. And he says, yes, yes, you absolutely could go to law school too. Whatever you want to do. And I made a deal with him that day. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I said, you know, I-, I so I was having a conversation with him. And-, and at this time, I had been getting some press for the business. But I didn't like it, right? I was so becoming a marketer, but didn't even realize at that moment, I didn't like my image. I said, I'm, I feel like I'm just known as this like cute girl who has this cute little company that does this cute thing. And I can't make a living being cute. Like I'm 23, you know, 22. I'm like, I want to, you know, establish myself. This isn't the brand I want. I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to just do this for a year. And for one year, I'm going to create the best research reports that I can. And they're going to talk about drugs and sex and illegal downloading and all of these things I felt people weren't talking about. And I said, and if at the end of that year, I've established a business and I'll, I'll be really happy. And if I haven't, then I'll go to law school. And that's just, that was just really what I was going to do. And it, as it turned out, Before I graduated, I was a speaker at an industry, um, music industry conference, and I was presenting research against some really big, big, notable, well-respected agencies. And and these agencies delivered research and said only 17% of the population is legally downloading, illegally downloading music, and this will not be a problem. You know, college student gets up and I say... I've surveyed 500 teenagers between the ages of 13 and 19 and 99% of them illegally downloaded music in the last 30 <laughs> days and have no interest in stopping. And like Billboard didn't even include me in the write up, but it just so happened that the head of research for Sony Music was in the audience and after I graduated, about a month after I graduated, I got a call from her and she said, "So I was at this event and you're the only person that told the truth. We know that the issue is even worse." And and, you know, she said, I'm going to hire you. I want you to do some research for us. And for about 10 years, I worked with her and with all the different Sony labels and got to work, you know, artist projects ranging from John Mayer to John Legend to Jessica Simpson. And, and we were, you know, helping pick singles and just doing really great work. And so, um, you know, the seed was planted that I would not go to law school. And, and, and very soon after college, I, you know, I picked up the Sony contract, started getting hired a bit more. Opened an office in New York City, and and by the time I was 25, I had the you know the cover story with O Magazine, and it you know as they say the rest is history. So wow, yeah. no no law school. This is what I'm talking about. <laughs> you, know. you can't just casually say I opened an office in New York City,
1: the most expensive place on earth. No, we have to break this down. <laughs>
0: Which okay. I was in a co-working space, by the way, in okay. two thousand and four, before it was even a thing, and I had a great space in the city, and it was like co-working before, like, and I, that's a big part of my career is like doing crazy things before people, you know, even thought about them, or okay. back when they were like, that's that would be crazy. Why would you have an office? Like, it's just fine. It's gonna work, and, and right. it was great. You know, it was great to be, you know, twenty four, having an office in New York City, and you know, our headquarters. We were across the street from the old coach headquarters and, you know, not too far from the Javits Center. So I got to go to all those shows. It was just like a really great time in life to be working in the city. And I I never lived in the city. I was too much of a suburban New Jersey girl, but I liked, and I still love the work energy of New York City. And so, yeah, the Oprah, I was very blind to that whole thing too. And I, you know, I said, oh, that'll, it'll be nice, but I'm still doing the work I was doing. And, and, you know, right after the piece came out, I, you know, get a phone call and letter from Maria Shriver inviting me to an event. I was like, okay, things have changed. I definitely think things have changed a bit, but it was, it was a really, really exciting time. Now you
1: started out doing this in exchange for free product. At what Mm -hmm. point did you shift and were your advisors a critical part of that shift in letting you know, you know, what to charge, how to charge so that you can really start to sustain yourself as a business?
0: Yes, so I will say um, Dr. Jose, who still teaches at Hood College, where where I did my undergrad, um, was an invaluable resource. And and one of the best things she taught me, you know, so go back again to. 2000 college campuses. What was happening in the world in 2000? It was the first big internet boom, and so everybody had a dot .com. And she said, "Listen, I have a, I have a feeling that dot .coms are going to .dot bomb, and, and you really need to build a structurally sound bricks and mortar company, and it needs to fundamentally be something that can last the test of time. Don't make it an online internet based company. It, it's not going to work." And and she was really really great to give me. That advice, and and so throughout that process, we were looking at pricing strategies and all of these things that were really helpful. And again, you know, I just didn't know what things should cost. And then, you know, doing that much research really helped me understand. Okay, this is what where the market is, and really helped me understand. You know, the different types of agencies we were competing against. But also, as has always been the, I think. The truth for me in my career, I would always do something that was a little bit out of the norm, and so it was really difficult to figure out how to price what we were doing. You know, um, even you know, so we, I, my business has evolved from just a research-only business to you know, and being in the influencer business really before anybody was in the influencer business, um, to then combining research, influencer, and public relations. And so these are all disciplines that maybe independently all have different pricing strategies, but to combine them all together has always been the unique challenge of figuring out what that should cost. But I I learned early on that my clients were were CMOs or marketing directors who had budgets. And sometimes you would get a budget and you'd make things fit within a budget. And so that was also really helpful. And so sometimes you create the budget, other times people come to you and tell you what the budget is.
1: Got it. Now, okay, so let's talk about this. You graduate from Hood College. Then before you headed to New York, where were you in your business where you said, okay, I can sustain getting a co-working space? Were you living on your own? You know, what kind of revenue was the company bringing in that you felt, okay, I can do this full-time?
0: Yes. So, By the time I was 25, we were making half a million dollars, which was just to me. I mean, I remember my first year out of college. um, So I was probably 22. I made about $100,000. But I was still living at home. And I was living at home because I was traveling about 60% of the time. And so I couldn't justify getting a place where I was never going to be when I literally would just like come home and park my bags and keep going. And so I was like, huh, I guess I made some money. But it's still... Never occurred to me that like being twenty two and night what two thousand and two making a hundred thousand was still like really good money, right? I just never because I had I never had anything to compare it to except for what like a eight dollar an hour telemarketing job, you know. So I was just kind of like, I guess it's okay. And then I you know started making more, and I'm like, okay, I guess I'm making enough to do this. And then you hire people, it's like, well, I guess I'm making enough to hire someone, but. It, I never had that opportunity to kind of be in corporate to say, "Oh, this is a budget. This is good," you know. And I, I remember, I, you know, I bought my house ten years into my business, and everyone's like, "You can pretty much go buy a house," like you know. But I was like well, I want to make sure everything's set before I do something for myself. I like, that, I'm still yeah. It, you know, it makes my friends laugh. Like, they're, I, like I bought a luxury car three years ago, right? Which is <laughs> <Just> like <laughs> 19 years into my, and they're like, oh, it's nice. Nice to see you bought yourself a car. I'm like, well, it's time, you know? It's like, I'm like, I really loved my Nissan Murano, but I got an Audi and I was like, this is really nice too. But they just like make fun of me for it all the time. They're like, okay, (laughs) Tina, you know, it's like, I I think as you know, as a business owner, you're always thinking does the business have what it needs? Is the business sustaining itself? And you think of yourself second. And, and I, you know, I can never tell you if that's the right thing or not the right thing. I can tell you it's really hard running and sustaining a business for 22 years. And had I not done things the way I did, I may have several times in my career completely lost the business. But I wow. think, you know, understanding and, and having a certain philosophy in a way I personally lived life as the owner meant that whenever I got into a hard time, it was easy to get myself out of it because I wasn't, you know, sustaining five separate homes and, and right. you know, tons of expenses and trying to keep up with, you know, the Joneses. It's like now right. I'm going through a renovation and my renovations already paid for before I do it. Right. That's just the way I am. You know, yeah. it's like, I'm not going to get myself into something and, and then have it be detrimental to my business. And, but that's, you know, yeah. I'm a person who's grown up with a business. I have friends who, um, worked corporate, you know, saved money and are starting businesses and their philosophy is totally different where they now have, uh, it's really difficult. I watch for them to leave what they like to call the golden handcuffs of corporate to really pursue entrepreneurship because they're used to bonuses and, and, you know, a a kind of luxury that I'm, I'm used to hustling, right? I'm used to, if I want more money or want more toys, then I have to go out and make it for myself. And then I'll get those things. So right. it's always interesting when you compare the different philosophies. I Absolutely. Think. And, you know, you
1: touched on something that I would love to know more about. So you talked about the fact that with the shifts that come, and I'm sure you've seen shifts in the marketplace, you know, throughout mm-hmm. your years of sustaining the business, you have implemented things to make sure that you survive. So in addition to, like you you said Saving and and living below your means. Were there specific strategies that you used in hiring and growing your business so that you could sustain a hit in the market? You know, when downtimes and things like that.
0: Yes. And so, um, I mean, the first thing I think that makes our business model pretty unique is we have 40,000, we call them buzz spotters worldwide that work with us, right? So we have a really huge workforce who are, you know, consultants who based on a client, we could, we could employ like up to 250 of them at once, right? Who get paid for projects with clients. And then internally, you know, I I have, you know, I would consider a a rather small team of, of 10 people. And then we also, you know, when we had Dell as a client and we were, were their influencer agency, I had 45 independent contractors working on their work. And then when that project finished, I, I didn't need to carry 45 people. And so, you know, I really learned early on how to master, um, you know, the real demands of the organization and, and from a talent resource perspective. Um, and then whether it's our, our accountants or CFOs, or you know, there, there are lots of top talent, our, our head of legal that I utilize on an hourly basis because some projects need more, some projects need less. And that's the place where I say, just if you're going to spend money, please, please, please make sure you get the very best CPA you can find and, and have them educate you about taxes, how you have to save what you need to know. Like I'll give you an example. When I moved the business into Philly, I didn't know that if you are a seven figure business that you get hit with a special tax, you know, it's really important to know now we're thinking about opening a new office and we're thinking, you know, we'd love to be in the city again, but we're going to be very thoughtful about that. You know, I wanted to, at one point, open an office in California. And after talking to our HR consultants, you know, tax consultants, it, the, the decision came back that it was not going to be the best move for us. You know, if we're a New Jersey based company, there there are very different laws in California around employment. And it's a very costly thing if you don't know what you're getting into And So you know, you really need to pay money for for that advice that will save you down the line. And so I think a lot of times as the owners, we think of ourselves as the chief creative. And th- there are definitely moments where I have a lot of like vision and inspiration, but, but it's figuring out the budget piece that is so important, right? And I think we like to celebrate people for their style and ideas. But at the end of the day, if you want a company long-term My day is so much down to the granular, how much money am I spending today, tomorrow, in the next 30 days, in the next 60 days? What's the revenue looking like? And that's really, you know, you get to the point where you hire the best talent. You know, I'm 20 plus years into it what do I know about social media? You know, I <laughs> tell me what I need to do on social yes. media. You know, and I you have to get past the point where you think that you are the smartest person in the room and you're not, you know. I love being around a table where I am absolutely not the smartest person in that room because I'm learning so much from my team. And so, you know, that at the end of the day is my job is to make sure they feel confident and comfortable in their work environment that they're, you know, I always say my commitment to you is on the 15th and 30th, right? That your paycheck is in the bank. That's my commitment to you. And and that I'm managing, you know, where we're moving forward as a company and that I recruit the best talent to really fulfill the vision. Yes. So it
1: sounds like, your approach you really take time before you hire a full-time employee like so you you work with a lot of contractors in order to be full time you are very thoughtful about whether that position needs to come on board full time
0: Oh absolutely and also you know I, I'm also in a life stage there are a lot of women who come to work for the company who are in the life stage of having children who want to have more flexibility with their work environment, we tend to work at a place where that is something that is doable. And so, you know, that's, that's something I'm very thoughtful about is, you know, I have a lot of freedom in my life. And, and I think that there are some jobs within the agency um, that unfortunately don't offer that freedom, but there are, there are others that really do. And so I also have had, you know, over the last two years, you know, there's always someone out on a maternity leave returning or, or returnity is the new word we use. You know, I heard someone who was three months pregnant, you know, worked for about three to four months, went out on maternity leave, came back. And so I really look at the long-term investment in, in the right people, you know, and then the older I get, the more I realize you don't want to go through the process of hiring and firing and hiring, and firing and as an, as an industry, marketing has a very, very high turnover rate. You know, the average person will stay with an agency for seven months. And so if you think about the cost to constantly, you know, rehire, it's, it's very costly. And so I really like to focus on uh, a little bit more of like, where are you in your life stage? What's important to you? What motivates you to stay on the job? And, and how do we work with, with, with you to make that happen? You know, and I also, absolutely um, yeah, I would say one of the other things I, I, do a lot that maybe makes our agency a little bit different is I hire really young and I entrust with a lot because I always say I was 16 when I started if I could do it you can too and that's really paid off, you know, where where we have a lot of people in the industry who got who got their training, you know, at Buzz, whether as an intern, you know, I had someone who came in as an intern as a freshman in college and then stayed with us through law school. She loved the job so much, you know, went into a totally different business, but she was really my right-hand person for seven years. And so, you know, it was was a great beneficial relationship for both of us. And so, uh, you know, I like to take those risks though and say, if it's a good person, I'm gonna gonna take a risk and and, and see what we could do together.
1: Hey guys, it's Nikayla with a quick word from our sponsor. Okay. I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You wanna know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial, and my go to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. That's one of the reasons I really wanted to have you in the guest chair. You know, you are really inspiring in terms of when you got started. And a lot of college students listen to Side Hustle Pro, a lot of people who are starting out in their first jobs in their careers. And I think sometimes there is that intimidation factor where it's like, how could I possibly, what do I know about starting a company? But your very knowledge, your lens of what is going on around you right now is what you use to build your business. As you started growing in your business, was it hard to attract new clients? How did you go about bringing in new business?
0: Yeah, so that has never been a challenge for us, and I think I'm really, really fortunate with that. Um, you know, just the press and the media we've had has been really helpful. The fact that we were in a market where there weren't a lot of players it was all really, really helpful. And from the beginning of the business, it was the media that really drove it. And so I think as we start to become a more grown-up business, it's it's important. I you know our communications. We are already working on the next version of our website. While the current website looks great, that's a big philosophy we have about constantly innovating and updating, and never really resting on our laurels and thinking like, "Okay, we've arrived." That's a really big value for us. It's, we're constantly curious. We're constantly engaged. You know that that's that's really important. That we don't think, "Yes, we've arrived." And so I think sometimes. What happens is that agencies can get stale, you know, and we're we're constantly trying to make sure that that doesn't happen, and that takes a lot of work. I'm sure you know. It's 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 sometimes with agencies you tend to deliver answers, and and because you're the the solution that tends to bring about arrogance. And I think I've always wanted us to remain humble and really just constantly be on a path of curiosity to think how can we do better, how can we be better, what do our clients need, and even if, if They think something is amazing. I'm constantly thinking, how can I make this experience better for them? What is it that we can be doing better? And so, you know, that's why even with things like when I created the book series, Mackenzie Blue, or now we're working on a magazine, that's also really awesome for people at the agency to understand what it, what our clients go through, right. To create something and then entrust us with marketing it and launching it to the world. They now understand and can empathize because we create things that we launch into the world. And so, you know, it's just super important, I think, to constantly be evolving and trying new things.
1: Yes. And I do want to ask you more about the book series in a bit. (laughs) Now, speaking of staying relevant and current and not getting stale, what's your approach to buzz spotters? So first of all, for those who don't know, you know, what are BuzzSpotters? You mentioned you were the first influencer agency, so to speak. What do they do? And then how do you make sure you are recruiting people that are going to be really helpful to these companies and brands?
0: Yeah, so I always joke that I was the first Spotter and then I recruited some friends. And BuzzSpotter started out as research, uh, like a research panel that that they would participate in surveys. Um, and you know, when I started the agency, we were very focused on teens. And then, as teens grew up and became older and became millennials, we really pivoted to millennials. And so, what happened is we had a client who was selling a product at Sephora. It wasn't selling so well, and she called me up and said those girls I just talked to who did a beauty survey, could I use them? Could I send them product and give them coupons to give their friends? And I, this is when like, we used to call it grassroots marketing. And I remember saying to her, well, I don't know how I would charge you because I don't know if it would work and I can't charge you because what if it doesn't work? Right. That was just, obviously we could all say, duh, of course, influencer marketing was going to work and it worked quite well. So now Butters also participate in influencer marketing campaigns, but they have done anything from help create a back-to-school TV commercial for Mead 5 Star to being ambassador for brands like um, American Eagle Outfitters to testing polenta to see if polenta would work, you know, <laughs> in the U.S. And so they've done a lot of really cool, really different things.
1: Now, let's talk about the book series. So how did you segue into books and are there more series coming out? Tell us about Mackenzie Blue.
0: Yeah, Mackenzie, so how that came to be. I was doing focus groups on tweens. You know, tweens were like the new trend um, back in 2006. And I had a mom come up to me during a focus group and say, my daughter is 10. She's reading Gossip Girl. What should I do? And it was one of those things (laughs) that I really thought about it. I was like, whoa, if I were a mom, I'd be really, really upset if that were happening. And I thought, well, could I create a girl that was kind and loving and and great with her friends and all these awesome things, but would she still be cool? And it was almost a challenge to myself. Like, could I make this character? And at the time, I I really had no free time. You know, I didn't have a concept of free time back when I was 27 years old. I was like, work, 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 work. On the weekends, work, 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 all the time. And so I said, well, at the end of the year, I take a little bit of time off and maybe I'll, I'll put together a concept. And I ended up doing that showed it to a friend who happened to be editor-in-chief of 17 at the time. It just kept showing it to friends and they were like, wow, this is really good. And, And I was also working on marketing of a book, of a teen title for a publishing company who also said to me at the time, you should think about doing a book. And I thought, ah, I did go to school for journalism. I actually did not graduate with a marketing degree. I have a journalism degree. And I thought, well, I can write, let me see. And then it just ended up that I asked an editor who was my client, who are the top agents that she buys from sent it to a few agents and then had a friend who introduced me to um, a publishing company who made an offer on the series on the spot. I didn't go with that publishing company and then took that offer to an agent and said, Hey, I have this offer on the table. What do you think? And you know, she's just an amazing agent that I worked with. And we, we ended up signing with HarperCollins for five books. And so, you know, we've done five books in the Mackenzie Blue series. I think I would love to do many more books, but I think Mackenzie needs another screen, right? So I think it needs TV or some kind of like multimedia, and then a relaunch of the books. It could be a film, it could be a TV show. There, there are plenty of options these days but I love writing fiction for tween girls. It's just a fun age. You know, I'm working on some other concepts, but as I'm sure you know, you can only handle so much at a time. And there's something else that was like really pulling up my heartstrings to do sooner than more books. And, you know, girls continue to buy Mackenzie; It continues to do well and sell well. And so I know it's still relevant. And I think whenever we decide to take the next step with the series, the the, the right audience will be there. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to keep doing more of it. But it's just really one of the most fun things I've ever done. And I understood at that moment what my clients felt like to create something and then see it go out into the world and see people love it and really treasure it. And to see girls really have an attachment to her as a real person has just really been like one of the great joys of my career. And to now see my niece who is eight, you know, reading my books, it's kind of surreal, right? So for so many years, I wrote for girls I didn't know. And to see my friend's daughters who are now old enough to read the books and talk to me about the books has been just a a great feeling for me to have recently. Oh, I love it.
1: Something that you mentioned just has me thinking about the idea of working through challenges and how you were able to overcome that. So, you know, you are in the business of staying on top of research, on top of latest trends. And so theoretically, you should see everything coming. But was there ever a time <laughs> when <laughs> when something just completely just blindsided you or you felt like you had to catch up on a trend and how did you deal with it?
0: Uh, absolutely. I will tell you the funniest thing. One of my girlfriends sat me down, I want to say maybe seven years ago now, and said, we need to have a Twitter venture. And I was like, what? <laughs> It's just like, like I used to use this like little fashion TW name and she was like, this is terrible. Everything you're doing on social is terrible. And if you remember when social media was coming of age, I was running a mature company, right? I wasn't a startup. I had been in business for over 10 years. And so your challenges in business at 10 years or not. Doing the fun thing, you know, to keep it going. I was talking to accountants and lawyers, and you know, I wasn't yeah. thinking about what my name was going to be on Twitter. You know, it just wasn't—it just wasn't where I was, you know. And, and it was really funny to think back. To, I have a friend that's like, "You've got to get involved with social," and I just didn't get it. I didn't get why people were talking and telling everything about their life right to be like. I just it didn't make any sense to me, like responding to a research questionnaire totally made sense to me, but like the oversharing type of thing just didn't I just didn't get it. And I totally, you know, had I personally gotten it early on, like there are people we pay and marketing campaigns where we laugh as an agency, like, yeah, I totally missed the boat on that. I could be making that check and not being the person right yeah. on the other side who's like paying it. Right. So I, I think I totally missed What was happening at that moment in time? And I was a person who was working for these big Fortune 500 companies and propelling those brands. And I missed the idea of what a real personal brand, like what people were developing independent of these big institutions that have been played such a big role in my career, right? And so whether it was like the Cosmo feature or the glamour, like I was used to traditional media being such a big part of and so important to telling even my story as an entrepreneur, that's how people learned about me, right? It's like you open essence. And then that some people say, that's where I, first time I heard about you, Tina. I couldn't connect that people were just going to go online and create brands and create multi million dollar businesses based off of who they were as people. And now I look back and say, how could I have missed this? But it just, where I was focused in that moment in time wasn't on something like that, if that makes sense.
1: No, that makes complete sense. I I think for a lot of companies, it's funny, I got my start in social marketing around uh, 2010 and it was such a free-for-all. It was fun. You know, for me, I was working at a startup, but no one knew what to make of it. So we just had so much free reign because we were able to say, no, this is what we're doing, leave us alone, while the whole time we were just learning and figuring it out ourselves.
0: (laughs) Right, yeah. Yeah. And that was great. I mean, it's a, it was a great time and moment in time, but something that I feel we just totally missed, you know? And then we quickly got it together. But I, I still feel like I've somehow personally missed, you know, sometimes I'm like, I just, like, I'll do an Instagram story. But if you follow me on social, it's like, I'm still not as engaging as some of the people that I follow. And I'm like, wow, they're really awesome. But I'm like, you know, every generation has something that is just, Native for them, yeah. and and for me, it was it, it's just not. It's something mm-hmm. that I appreciate. I understand it's a tool. It's in the toolkit. I'll use it. But if you talk to me about research or talk to me about writing, right. you know, there's there's something so native for me in having a concept and writing it down and getting yes. it out to the masses that okay. that I can't seem to do with social. I I can do it and fake it with the team of people who get it, but yes. it, it's not you know something that's easy for me.
1: And a lot of people don't understand the how important the research part is but it's not enough and working in social marketing social media marketing i saw i see way too much of like mm-hmm. this is what i think this is what i've been seeing people like this and it's all based on these just hypotheses just guesses, don't. like <laughs> just you can't just go around guessing stuff at some point. And people point. do and put it out there like it's true. And I'm like, like- it's fact, like it's fact. And, and that's the part that would make me mad because then, you know, that lessens and trivializes what was my actual job, where yeah. I took the time to go back and study marketing. So I really appreciate the concept of research and what you guys do. Now let's talk a little bit about, so you are one of the few Black women on some of the most notable boards or institutes mm-hmm. out there. How did you navigate that shift in your career? For example, you're on the board of THINKS, right?
0: Yes, I am, and I love THINKS. All of these, so I'll, I'll go back to like, how did I, your first, how did I start? So at 27, I was approached to join the board of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Uh, But I don't know how much you know about classical music. I didn't know a ton. Um, My youngest brother, I have five younger siblings. My youngest brother went to Berklee School of Music. He's an incredible composer and just all-around musician. And I kept dodging them. And finally, he he was (laughs) at Berklee at the time, and he said, Tina, the Philadelphia Orchestra is the best orchestra in the world. Are you crazy? You need to talk to them. And I said, okay, fine. I'll talk to them. And it opened this world of just when I talk about for me personally being curious, right, that's a huge philosophy for me. I want to learn and I don't think we're ever done learning or we know enough. And so to enter the world of classical music and to understand arts and culture at the highest level, and then to also meet at 27, you know, some of the most important philanthropists of our time who, you know, a lot of people sleep on Philadelphia, but, you know, there's a lot of wealth in Philadelphia. There are a lot of, you know, amazing entrepreneurs who come from Philadelphia, And I got to meet them at this really interesting time. And then I also joined the board in 2008. So my first event was the day that Lehman Brothers collapsed. And so I then joined this board of, you know, organization that, you know, we're raising tons and tons of money and we have, you know, one of the worst crashes in history. And I quickly get up to speed on collective bargaining agreements and filing for bankruptcy and pension plans and all this stuff that I don't deal with in my, you know, boutique agency. And so just to be able to learn and and have that experience, I always joke with my friends, if you can go through a bankruptcy, that's not yours. Boy, are you going to learn a lot, you know, and just watching the organization evolve bounce back. See, it was just an unbelievable experience. And then through, the Philadelphia Orchestra, I I became friends and with someone who introduced me to the Franklin Institute. And I've been with them now for almost 10 years. And I've gone from, you know, a committee member to very quickly, a vice chair of a committee to now the chair of a committee to now on the executive committee of the entire Institute. And, and that's been an awesome adventure, you know, and, and along the way I've done some other nonprofits that have been great. And then to, to, cross over to the corporate side has just been unbelievable. You know, when I got elected to things, I became like the youngest black woman to serve uh, on, on a corporate board. And, and I want more of that and I want younger. And I think where I am in my career is those things were great to hear 20 years ago. When I hear them now, I don't think they're awesome anymore. I don't feel pride. I feel like I want to see 10, 20, 30 of me across all different boards, and I want us all to tra- talk and share information about how we do what we do, but being the only one, you know, in 2018 isn't okay. Like, it's not, right. not it's not, you know, and I think my generation, to be honest, there, there was this feeling of being the one, being the only was so awesome, and the older I get, the more I think I'm now in that phase of my career where I'm like, hold up, this isn't awesome. We need to do whatever we need to do to put more of us. And, and it's not just about saying, I want more black women here. It's like, I want as much diversity in a room as possible because it creates diversity of thought. I think we always just get to the first level of like, physical diversity, right? But is it really diverse when everyone on the board is is like multimillionaires who are going to go have the same like Palm Beach vacation to go to the same (laughs) Hampton? No, it's really not, you know? But when you're, you know, one of the things I appreciate most in my company right now is like age diversity, right? And hearing a young person talk about their experience and then being able to talk to someone who's in their 50s or 60s about their experience. And for me to Glean from both parties, and and so I think boards have to do more of that. You know, you really need different opinions that that will make a company better. And so, you know, I I, I I love my board work. I'm learning about things I never thought I would ever learn about. And so, when my girlfriends talk about being pregnant and things that happen, I'm like, oh, I've got a product for you. <laughs> I probably don't think I'd know anything about this, but boy, do I! You know. it's I just think things that allow me to learn more are great and so and, and where I can really add value. And, and that for me is what's important at this stage. Am I adding value? And I think entrepreneurs always, whether you're an entrepreneur, a side hustler, a entrepreneur, you always have to be thinking about the value that you add to any situation and really be conscious of showing up where you add value.
1: Now, you mentioned wanting to have more people. And yeah, I definitely agree with you. Like we can, we should not be seeing these headlines anymore about first black uh. woman, but what can we do as black women entrepreneurs, entrepreneurs, to start preparing ourselves and position ourselves to be on a corporate board?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think first is, it's really um, having access to information. And so you know, I'm launching a, I think I told you earlier, I'm launching a business and lifestyle magazine later this year. And i where I got the inspiration was conversations I have with my girlfriends and the things that we talk about and the information we exchange and where we are in our lives, right? We have busy family lives and, and busy personal lives. And we might steal a coffee or a lunch date and we talk and exchange all this information. And then the idea of mentoring comes up and we go, Oh, I would love to, but I don't have any time. And I thought, what if, the last hour of what we just talked about, you know, we could take that information and give it to a 25-year-old. What mistakes wouldn't they make if they just heard what we talked about for the last hour? Mm -hmm. And then I started to think about what do I know? What are the lessons I've learned? What are the mistakes I don't want people to make? And so I think that's like kind of the long answer to your question is we have to share more and find safe spaces where we can say, hey, I really screwed this up when I was 25 or 26. And I hope you don't do the same thing. Right. And I hope that you can have a launch pad that's a little bit different than I, I have, you know, I, I have a niece who's eight and a nephew who's two. And my niece, we joke that she just lives, she really does live her best life. And it's because, <laughs> you know, I, I didn't get on a plane until I was 19 and I flew to Houston and then to Honduras, you know, at wow. six, she wanted to go to Paris. And so we went, you know, and so It's like, I want her to see the world and have open eyes and to to really understand. But when I watch her sometimes, I'm like, oh my God, the confidence you have that we maybe didn't have at that age because we just didn't have access to the things that you know, you know, and just the ability to get the answers you need through technology. It's like, I want younger women to have access to it. So I I don't really think it's a mark of honor for you to like trudge through the forest and create the path, like just skip down, you know, keep, move as quickly as you can to get to where you're going. And so I think we have to get over this idea of like, she's got to earn or he's got to earn his way. It's like everybody in their own way is paying their dues, right? Every generation has a different definition of what that means. And I think as we see, there, there are many things in society and in working relationships that have been off for years that need to change, right? There are many things that we're all evaluating as a society and saying, that's not maybe the best way to do that. And I think how we look at mentoring and how we look at engaging with younger people and training the next generation, that's another thing we have to take a look at and say, maybe we're not doing this the best way. Maybe the whole hazing thing doesn't make sense. Maybe the whole you'll get to the table when, when you're supposed to and I'm not going to help you type of thing isn't actually the best thing to do. Absolutely. Now,
1: we are going to transition into the lightning round. So you just answer the first thing that comes to mind really quick. You don't have to elaborate. Are you ready? I'm ready. All righty. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? Uh, fast Company. Alrighty. Number two, what's been the best business book or podcast episode or event that you've consumed this year?
0: A revisionist history podcast.
1: Okay. Number three, who is a Black woman entrepreneur that you would want to trade places with for a day and why? <laughs> uh,
0: Lovey Ajayi, because I just want to be in her head. I think she's one of the funniest people I know. And I just want to crack up all day thinking the thoughts that she must think that she doesn't even put on paper.
1: (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Number four, what is a personal habit that you think has significantly contributed to your success?
0: Mm, Situational analysis. Yeah. I analyze everything before I just go do it to make sure I'm doing the right thing.
1: Alrighty. And finally, number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck?
0: Oh, just do it. And I would say as long as you can do both, do both, make sure you've got some money saved up, right? I don't care how big the idea there's nothing better than having money and the bank that can sustain you for months while you're trying to get to your next thing. And I will tell you, like the longest I've ever gone in my career without having a client or a paycheck was about three months. And so, if I, if you know, really making sure you've got three months, a hundred days worth, um, and understanding how long it takes. Like I know to the day from the time someone says I want to do business with you to in the dollars in the bank. I've calculated how long that actually takes, and even if it's shorter than that. That's awesome. But I have a number in my head. So I, so I think sometimes we count the dollars before they're in the bank and be, you have to be very sober. Like you should really be glass half full in every other scenario than when it comes to, to money. Money needs to be it's half empty and it's getting emptier by the day. You right. know? Don't project it for that month. Don't, project don't, it don't, for don't the don't month it. it hits. Exactly. <laughs> All right, Tina, it
1: has been absolutely wonderful having you in the guest chair where can people connect with you after this episode?
0: Tinawells.com is a great first step. Um, I I publish articles there and content that I think will be of interest. And you could also download a free audio course I created uh, called Should You Start That Business? It will give you a worksheet, some terms, and it's just 15 minutes audio of me talking through different concepts and, and what I teach at Wharton to help you figure out if you should start the business.
1: Yes, and I will link to that in the show notes. So guys, there you have it. Hey guys, thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to SideHustlepro.co forward slash side corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at Side Hustle Pro